Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Baseball teams are on the brink to make the World Series. Elimination games from here on out to decide who plays in the Fall Classic. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. That wheel continues to spin. College football, it's anyone's game at any point, at any time, on any given Saturday. And the NBA announced its 75 greatest players of all time to celebrate its 75th anniversary. And to no surprise, there are takes, to say the least, at some snubs and some additions that people were not too pleased with after the release of the list. In joyous fashion for this show, we get to once again start with Major League Baseball and maybe some surprise. I shouldn't say some definite surprise in the NLCS where the Los Angeles Dodgers world series favorites before the season world series favorites as the season went on and world series favorites fingers crossed. Once they got in, in the wild card game, find themselves down to the Atlanta Braves three games to one. Now we're recording this on the night of game five. They have a handed lead, although no lead is seemingly safe when these games in the CSs have been going eight, nine, 10 runs teams just hitting the cover off the ball, but they look to cut the series to three, two and stay alive, which is exactly what they did last year. Down three, one against the same Atlanta Braves came back, won the series, went on to win the world series in the asterisk simulated season that people don't really give them a lot of credit for that. They're trying to get redemption from in that series where we can start. Are you surprised at what's happened? Are you surprised at these Atlanta Braves? Look at them. They're killing it. Our fans and friends, and guess we're right where we were a year ago with the Braves up three to one and seemingly in control. A couple of quick things uh, on the Braves before we get to the Dodgers. The Braves, remember, struggled all year long with injuries. They lost their best player in the great young Acuna. And it was a division that nobody wanted. It was a division that the Mets looked like they were in control of early. Uh, the Phillies never really got their pitching going. Their bullpen was hideous from beginning to end. And as the Mets started to fall apart slowly but surely between losing Jacob DeGrom and the up and down scenario of the trades that they made, uh, bringing over bias, the thumbs down, uh, injuries, inability to hit, defensive woes, starting pitching falling apart. Phillies riding the roller coaster. The Braves just kind of like waddle along and, you know, kind of like the Cardinals in the Central, where they kept their head above water around 500. And then the pitching got healthy. And despite the fact that they lost to Cunha, you know, at the trading deadline and just before, to their credit, they made moves. They went out and restocked their entire outfield. They brought in Solaire from Kansas City. They brought in uh, the jock star, Mr. Jocktober, uh, Jock Peterson from the Cubs. They brought in Adam Duval, who was a home run and RBI machine. And they went and got Eddie Rosario, who was hurt at the time from Cleveland, who has just been the second coming of Randy Orozarena in the postseason. I mean, he's hitting anything that's round and white. 
in the postseason, this series, he's gone nuts. Uh, again tonight, even though they're losing, uh, hitting every ball on the screws. And their bullpen rounded into fashion. They won the NL East, not by a landslide, but comfortably, because the Phillies and the Mets literally fell by the wayside. They took on the Brewers, who just couldn't hit. The Brewers had the terrific starting pitching, but Atlanta pretty much matched their starting pitching. And the Brewers, without Yelich swinging the bat well, just don't have enough offense. And the Braves got a ton of power. They might have the best infield in all of baseball. Freddie Freeman, last year's MVP and terrific player at first. A brilliant on switch hitting second baseman in Albies. Austin Riley, who's an MVP candidate, who once they got him out of left field and back at third base where he belongs, has turned into a solid third baseman and a spectacular offensive player. And, you know, the steady, Desmond Swanson, it's short. They came close to becoming the first team to have an entire infield hit 30-plus home runs. They didn't quite make it, but they came close. I believe they became the second time, which we, second team, which we talked about, to have their infield with 25-plus home runs each. They did do that, and they're spectacular defensively. The outfield is not spectacular defensively, but they're all hitting the hell out of the ball. So we've talked about this in the past. It's not the best team. It's the team that's playing the best, and they're playing terrific right now. The defending champs, as we turn to them, are on the ropes, just like they were last year, down 3-1, with tired pitching and an offense that has really been punchless throughout the postseason, and some injuries. Everybody's got injuries, but they lost Max Muncy, huge loss. Kershaw, of course, another huge loss. And, as I said to the great one, the one and only, Chris Mad Dog Russo today, on his show, it reminds me a lot of old report folks. Stay with me now. Uh, these Braves in the early 90s against the Phillies. The Braves chased Chris Russo's Giants all year long. And folks, this was back when there was no wild card. This was uh, 1993. This was the Giants having a year similar to this, led by a young Barry Bonds just coming over from Pittsburgh with another stellar, uh, brilliant season, MVP season. His third MVP in four years, won it in 91, 92, actually 90, 91, and, uh, 93. And the Braves chased the Giants back when they were both in the NL West and there was no Central, just the West and the East, all year long, all year long, and all year long the Giants were in first place. And all year long the Braves with their masterful threesome of Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz chased and chased and chased and chased. And they made the Fred McGriff deal and they caught them on the final weekend of the season. They both won over 100 games and they passed them on the last day of the season. And then they took on a spunky Philly club led by Lenny Dykstra, who had an MVP-type season, Kurt Schilling, Darren Dutch Dalton, uh, managed by Jim Fregosi, the wild thing Mitch Williams out of the bullpen. And Atlanta just ran out of steam. The chase all year long with never a chance to rest, 
with never a chance for off days, with never a chance to get their pitching lined up. Just it, it, they just didn't look like they were the same team against the Phillies who played well and hit and beat them. And then the Phillies went on to lose to the Blue Jays who won their second consecutive World Series in 1993. And then in 1994, we had the cancellation uh, and no World Series. That's what this Dodger team reminds me of. They chased the Giants all year long, nonstop. Chase, chase, chase. No time to rest. No ability to set up their pitching. No off days. And coming off a 60-game season, you're stretching guys out to some places they've never been or certainly places they weren't last year, even if they were experienced, like a Scherzer uh, and, and like a Bueller. And lo and behold, Kershaw goes down. Obviously, the issues with Trevor Bauer and his suspension. And the Dodgers pitching all of a sudden is running a little short and they can't rest anybody because they're constantly chasing the Giants. They never catch the Giants finishing a game back. And then they have to play the Cardinals in a one game winner go home, which they sneak out with a Taylor two run walk off homer. And then they get the Giants and five grueling games. The last two of which were just, uh, you, you know, three of the games you couldn't breathe plain and simple you know if you're whichever team you're rooting for you couldn't take a breath there were such every pitch you're hanging at every pitch is vital and the last one is attention convention they pull the rabbit out of the hat down to one win at home and go back to san francisco and win that nail biter and then they get to take on the bridge and they lose two walk-off games in the bottom of the ninth, one of which they should have easily won. Dave Roberts decides to go to Udius in the bottom of the eighth with a two-run lead and the lefties coming up instead of staying with Blake Trine, who blew through, through the bottom of the seventh. Tie game. Ninth inning. Walk off. They called it a base hit. Uh, to me, it's a ball that Corey Seager should have played, but you cannot olay a sh- if it's 105 miles an hour. Sorry. You can't olay it with the game-winning run at second base. He did. Second walk-off. They go home down 2-0. Seager leads the comeback when it looked like they were dead in the water going down 3-0. You think that's going to jumpstart the Dodgers? It doesn't. Arias is never right last night. Gives up three solo shots, four solo shots, whatever it was. And the Dodgers don't hit. They wind up losing 9-2, I believe was the final score. And right back where you where you were last year. But as in last year, they bounced back tonight. Chris Taylor, Mr. Clutch, have a night, two two run homers, five RBIs, old folks, my guy, Albert Pools in the middle of everything, two knocks and a walk. Uh and they're up six two as we're getting late. So they have a chance to go back to Atlanta. Remember, neutral site last year. No home field because of the pandemic, the year of the asterisk, not just baseball, but as we said, 2020, here first, the year of the asterisk period in life. But they now have a chance to go back to Atlanta, down 3-2, but Max Scherzer, tired arm and all, on a full complement of four days rest with travel day, games three and four, 
excuse me, travel day, games three, four, five, travel day, starting for game six. And if necessary, if need be, if possible, if they get to it, arrested Bueller for game seven. So you never know. Champs, hard to kill. Can they pull the rabbit out of the hat again? It would be something if they came back from 3-1 two years in a row. First of all, they have to get this win to get back to Atlanta. And there's still some outs to be got. It would be incredible, especially under this year's circumstances. Although I shouldn't say that last year's circumstances weren't hard in themselves. Of course they were. But this year from, as you mentioned, having to chase the Giants all season long and then dealing with everything else that a normal baseball team goes through, injuries, fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. You and just almost draw. wonder if you just step back and look at it objectively, rooting for no, would they have been better off as a whole if they were just five games back of the Giants? And it was never a doubt that they were going to finish behind them. And do they – give more rest to their starters? Do they shorten their outings? Do they save a little bit of their bullpen and not throw their best guys night after night after night after night and say, you know, we're going to finish, you know, we're, we're going to have home field the wildcard game. So when we get there, we get there, but we're going to get there rested, ready, and raring to go. You almost wonder if they would have been better off in that scenario it's crazy, than the way it? it played out. It's crazy. That's that's how the second guessing of sports goes, where they're in the chase. And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, if they work this hard and then don't get it, was it worth it or will it be worth it? Because it's still a grind in the postseason and it's certainly a grind this series. Now, they I don't want to say lucked out, but they had to only play four games getting here. Right. And then this is obviously a lot tougher against the Braves when these are the games that the Braves absolutely needed to get to this point. Those one run games, those late clutch hits, the bounces going their way for most of this series until game three, when it finally goes LA's way, a huge three run Homer, a walk off to win it. And then everybody thinks that's it for Atlanta. They're done. The series is completely flipped now. That's the momentum the Dodgers needed to take this and run away with it. Death to the Braves. And then they come back the next night and the next game and win nine to two. Just blow their ass out. Everybody always says, talks, writes, etc. Dave Roberts isn't making those decisions. They're coming from upstairs. And he'll let us know in his press conferences ever so slightly. I only have one vote, wink, wink. Is that Dave Roberts' decision? to go to Urias in the bottom of the eighth inning, or does it come from upstairs? Because, you know, and, and when he did it, I thought it was the right decision because he's got the experience coming out of the pen. He's been terrific out of the pen. He was rested, and it was the top of the order. It was the lefties. So I texted my buddy. I said, you know, I, I, he's got to set up. I like the move. I think it's the right move, even if it backfires. And 15 minutes later, I, I texted him, and it did. Uh, you know, Rosario pokes the line drive for a base hit. Uh, you know, he gets Freeman, and then, you know, a soft base hit, not a rocket, but a soft base hit 
uh, by Albies and some incredibly aggressive base running, uh, risky base running by Rosario and Ron Washington, all of which worked out. And then, uh, then obviously you know, the rocket by Riley and you got a tie game. You know, you've got the scenario where you just wonder now, is there enough, is there enough juice? left in the Dodgers tank from a pitching standpoint, because Urias was clearly compromised from that eighth inning. Uh, He did not look as sharp as he normally does in his start, hung some breaking balls, but for the most part, it was the fastball uh, that hurt him. That's what they took out of the yard. I think the first three home runs were all on fastballs. So, What's he going to be available for? I would think relief for Scherzer in the next game, if need be. But the old saying, you know, they'll have a travel day tomorrow, so everybody will get an extra day of rest and all hands on deck. But you, know, you wonder what Scherzer has got in it when he says, when you're Max Scherzer, say, I had a tired arm. And when he came out of the game, I, I was shocked. And then he said, after it was in the post game, he told Roberts, I'm done. Right. He told Roberts, when I was going off with the you, you may have to come get me. And for him to say so, that, you know, he's he's tired. He's not coming out of games ever. Absolutely. And when he says, you may have to come get me. And then he says that the the, the kid reliever w- was the better choice. He was going to be more effective for me. He was the right guy to go because he's going to be better in that spot than me. You know, how often you can hear a guy like Max Scherzer yeah. going to be a Hall of Famer say something like that. This The, the kid's going to be more effective than me because I'm gassed. So, and, you know, remember they brought him out for the close against the Giants. So he was compromised. And I was curious as to why when they were both, uh, when Bueller would have been on full rest, why they didn't throw Bueller in game two. Was it because they wanted to get him at home and give Scherzer the extra rest because he had just closed. But they decided to go with Max and obviously, you know, his arm ran out of gas. Plain and simple. And, you know, then the next night, Surprisingly, Bueller, sort of, you know, I should say, two nights later, back at home, Bueller just wasn't very good. Uh, but they pulled the rabbit out of the hat in that game, obviously with the, uh, the three-run homer by Bellinger. And look, they get it back to Atlanta with Scherzer on the mound. You never know. We we thought, well, switching to the American League, the Red Sox looked like they were ready to take a hand right home. Blitzing, blitzing the Astros. In two straight games, games two and three, two in Houston and three in Boston, behind Kiki Hernandez and company. And they've got a one-run lead, low-scoring game, top of the eighth. Altuve ties it with a bomb. Uh, you know, everybody's favorite manager, the cheater, changed man, great to be back. I'm sorry, I'm not going to my number one starter in the top of the ninth inning in a tie game. I am not doing it. He goes to Evaldi. Bad call, obviously, on what would have been a third strike, a third out. Base hit. They fall behind. Rest of the inning is a nightmare. And blown out yesterday. Now they're going back to Houston. Not up 3-2, down 3-2, and in huge trouble. So the tables can turn incredibly quickly. And nothing is more of an example of it than the Boston-Houston series where 
we just thought the Astros were gasping for breath down to one with not a pitcher to be seen who could hold the fort. A starter couldn't get out of the third inning and a bullpen that was just on fumes. And lo and behold, they get a big time start, shut down the Red Sox pretty much in game four and come up big with the home run from El Tuve and a big top of the ninth blow them out of the building last night. And they're out of Fenway last night. They're going home up three, two in the captain's. It's so hard to get a feel for series like this. When you have two teams that could hit the cover off the ball on any given night and two teams that could just as quickly go into a slump and not do anything from behind the plate. And that's exactly what happened after game one, game one, five, four thrilling. Here we go. It's going to be one of these back and forth type series. And as you said, Boston just out slugs Houston. Like this is their job. And you think this series is over. There's not a chance in hell. Oh, wait a minute. Let's score nine runs twice in Fenway and then go back to Houston for game six. So like, who do you bet on? Who do you pick? Who do you think is going to get the win here? Because it's just a matter of, all right, whose bats are incredibly red hot for that specific night. And each team is capable for the Red Sox having to do it two games and for the Astros just having to do it one more. They could, either team could win 10 to one in game six. You wouldn't be surprised either way. Wouldn't shock you. It's like, well, one just happened to do it before the other. So I don't know if it's going to be another slugfest game for game six where the Red Sox bats come back alive, force a game seven, and then God only knows what will happen. That would be thrilling to see. But it's so hard to judge these series when you get two offenses that could just completely take the defense and the other team out of the game in an inning. In one pitch, one should have been strike, you blink, and the game is out of hand. Remember, Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing in the world to do from a sports perspective. And now you are seeing, they're seeing a multitude of pitchers in every game. Rarely do they see the same pitcher in two at-bats. So it's incredibly hard to hit, period, end of story. Uh, Still, in my mind, the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball, period. And the higher level you go, the harder it gets. And this is the best in the world, throwing you know, 95 to 100 miles an hour on virtually every fastball. But nobody's under 95 miles an hour on their fastballs anymore, especially now with all these guys coming in fresh all the time. Nobody's gassed. You know, you, you, a, a starter's gone by the fourth inning. It's not because his fastball's losing life. It's just because, you know, he's not hitting his spots. And you know, it, it still might be 97 or 98, but it doesn't quite have the movement it did before. So it's time for him to take a seat. So uh, you just you can't fathom how hard it is to go up there and see a different guy every time. Every time. Who makes it to your World Series when all this dust settles over the weekend? <laughs> That's the question. Well, I'll start with the easy part for me. You know, I, I thought Houston would win the series when it started, not because I don't think the Red Sox are good. I just thought, quite frankly, that Houston would outslug them. 
I didn't think either team had any pitching, with the exception of Evaldi. Um, I didn't trust any of the Astros starters. They got really good one in the most important game with, uh, you know, their life on the line. So, um, uh, and they're going home up three two. So, you know, I, I'm sticking with my pick there. Obviously, I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series again, which means I picked them to go. And why not? Why not? Why not stick with my pick? All we got to do is win, hang on here, get six outs, and then two more in a row. So, you know, can't back off now. Only two more to get. Been there, done that. Dodgers Strohs. Rematch. Revenge. I'll go the easy route and take the current series leaders to hold on. Well, that's the new report analytics. That's it. That's it. Speaking of analytics, over in the East, the New York Yankees made a ton of moves this past week, Al. A lot of firings, a lot of let goings, but not Aaron Boone. No. The third base coach, the hitting coach, the pitching coach, the first base coach, gone, gone. See you later. They do exactly the opposite of the Cardinals. They fire everybody and extend their manager. The Cardinals keep everybody and fire their manager. How about it? How about it? Who will fare better? Three more years of Aaron Boone. Sweet mother of mercy. And, of course, Cashman had nothing but nice things to say. Of course. Because if he stays around, you're probably staying around. God help us and save us. To the National Football League. We're not going to talk about the Thursday night game. I can tell you that right now before any more sentences come out of my mouth. Even as a Denver Broncos fan, one of the worst football games you could ever want or hope to enjoy. Just dismal offense, painful defense against Case Keenum and scrubs from the XFL running around the football field, and they have no answers for it. So we're going to skip right over that and just focus on what's happening across the rest of the league. Not much changed this past week. There were only a handful of close games because they happen to go to overtime. Dallas found themselves in overtime against New England, held on to win that. The Seahawks, even with Geno Smith, somehow ended up playing the exact same Seattle Seahawks football game that they've been playing now for a decade. Overtime, chance to win, win the toss, bumble. The other team kicks the field goal and beats them in terrible fashion. Close, but no cigar. Poor Gino, a great day to be a TJ Watt when the Vikings went to overtime against the Panthers. whoop de doo But you're Ravens. I know we don't, people may not like us focusing on our own teams, but at least one of our teams is good, and that's your Ravens. What a statement at the Chargers, holding them to six points. What is this, Ray Lewis? What is this, Ed Reed? What are we watching out there, Al? 34-6, to six, the beat em down express was out in full force against the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought it might be somewhat of a shootout. Somebody's going to really have to step up on the offensive side, keep up with either Lamar Jackson slash Justin Herbert. Oh, no. It was a one-sided beat him down by your high flying, no problem, Baltimore Ravens. That's quite a win. I think that was one of the best wins of the week, no question. 
Well, I texted Nick Wright that afternoon, and uh, he had picked. First of all, he had said that the Chargers were the best team in the AFC going into the weekend, and he had picked the Chargers in an upset. And I said, "Boy, you're really going out on a limb. You're calling the best team in the AFC, and you're calling the win an upset because it's in Baltimore." So I texted him at 3:40 in the midst of the closing moments, I shouldn't say the midst, in the closing moments of the beatdown. And I said to him, what I expect to hear tomorrow, since I haven't gotten a mention recently on FTF, is that uh, my good buddy, Al from White Plains, uh, texted me at uh, 3.40 p.m. yesterday to tell me that this is the, quote, single best performance to date by any game, any team in the National Football League in this young season, quote, close quote. And, of course, he didn't mention it. Uh, they spent the entire first hour of the show talking about, which I texted him during the show, Cowgirls Patriots, who cares, okay? The, the Cowboys managed to come back and win a game against the hideous Patriots. Who cares? Right? While the Ravens are demolishing limb from limb the go-go Chargers with a brilliant performance of dominant old-fashioned Raven football. This was not the Lamar we've seen in prior weeks. It was a little dink and dunk. He wasn't that efficient. Two interceptions. One was off of Rashad Bateman's hands. Should have been caught. So not his fault. It wasn't. Superman running wild. It was what the Ravens did before the prior week when the record rushing streak came to an end. Excuse me, came to an end. They battered the Chargers with close to 200 yards on the ground. They shut the Chargers down completely on defense. They gave the kid no time to throw. The Chargers couldn't run the ball. And as I said to Nick and and, and the Mad Dog and, and others. You know, during the week leading up to that, you know, the village idiot himself, the town clown, right? the one and only Mr. Bandwagon, Mike Greeny Greenberg, had said during the week, if, 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 if you're going to start, if you're going to pick one player in the National Football League right now, wouldn't, wouldn't you have to pick? Wouldn't you have to pick the San Diego quarterback? I mean, he just might be the best player in the National Football League. Can you finish a cup of coffee? Not have one. Can you start and finish a cup of coffee in your career before Mike Greenberg calls you the best there is? It's, I mean, he is a fucking babbling buffoon. The guy gets paid a fortune, and he's, he's just an absolute bandwagon climber. Anytime anybody is any good, he's instantly the best. The kid is a really terrific-looking player. I loved him out of Oregon. A lot of the people didn't. So every two of this, two of that. I liked the kid. I thought Herbert had a chance to look. Some people thought he's a little underachieving in Oregon. I liked the size. I liked the athleticism. I liked the arm strength. I liked the way he stands tall in the pocket. I like everything about him. Do I think he could have been better, better at Oregon? Yeah, I do. I do. I think he could have been better. And I think he's got a chance to be a terrific NFL quarterback. 
But do I for a second think that Justin Herbert's the best quarterback in the National Football League? No. 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 Five games do not a great quarterback make. Not even a third of a season doesn't make you the best player in the NFL. You could be the hottest. It doesn't make you the best. But greedy, as soon as anybody's any good, could you think of it? He's got to be the best player in the league right now. Uh, No, Mike, no, no. Uh, Aaron Rodgers ring a bell. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, just to name a few on the quarterback front, just name a few, just a couple. Right? But, you know, he goes into Baltimore and gets a good old-fashioned ass whipping from Wink Martindale's defense that he said showed him things that we hadn't seen on film. So whatever they looked at on film, Wink gave him a totally different look that they had seen all year long. And this one was over. And, you know, the, the, the flyboy coach, you know, going for fourth and one at his own 19. Uh, come on, son. You know, you're not playing high school football. Fourth and one from your own 19 when you're down by three touchdowns. Punt the ball. I don't care what the, I don't care what the analytics say. Be a professional, not a bush leaguer. So enough with the flyboy coach, too. Another guy we're going to anoint as the boy genius. You know, with the analytics and the slide rule, it's to go for every fourth down. I like going for a fourth down, but there's a time and a place for everything. Fourth and one at my own 19, down three touchdowns, is not the time and not the place. And he got his head handed to him by John Harbaugh and company. So back to the drawing board for the boy genius, and back to the drawing board for a terrific young quarterback who is by no means the best quarterback in the National Football League in any way, shape, or form yet regardless of what the banana head Mike Greenberg may try and do. It always seems like we have to pump the brakes so many times throughout a national football league season. We're doing it now with Justin Herbert, who's a fantastic quarterback, but as you said, hold on. It's okay to hold on. And I'm not telling you the Ravens are the best team in the national football. All I'm telling you is the performance by the Ravens on Sunday. I thought considering the caliber of the competition, the go-go chargers, everybody's favorite new flavor of the week, but a good looking team considering the domination over a pretty darn good team. I thought it was the best single week performance we've seen by any team in the league so far. That's all. Yeah. Not saying they're the best team, not saying the Kings of the AFC, not saying Lamar's the MVP, because remember, you know, they've been dodging bullets all year long except for no disrespect to win against your team. Everyone in their games has gone to the last play of the game. Now we teased it at the beginning of the show. And to end here, we'll touch on Who doesn't love a list lists. The 75th anniversary of the national basketball association comes with it. The 75 greatest players of all time. 50 greatest players of all time list was released in the mid nineties. 50 on the 50th anniversary on the 50th anniversary. <laughs> imagine we're 1996 and let's do the math. Don't need a slide rule for it. New report. We're here. 25 years later, 25 years later, we're here. anniversary 2021. How about that? Now, for those of you that remember the first list, 
everybody stayed, which was controversial to some. Everybody's because around. we didn't know what was going to happen. Right. And in my discussions with the best basketball sports talk show in the world, the starting lineup with the great Frank Isola and uh, the White Mamba, Brian Scalabrini, we had many discussions and I was under the impression originally, as were they, that they were going to displace guys. So you, when the new list of 75 came out, guys who were in the list of the first 50 could in fact be gone and be removed. And I was also under the misapprehension or understanding that guys who didn't make the list the first time wouldn't be able to make the list the second time. So when I gave my original list of additions, I did not include two guys who made it because I thought it would be only eligible to new guys. So two guys that should have made it the first time around did, in fact, make it now. And we'll get to them in a, in a minute, which I think is terrific. And you're going to go through the glaring omissions, but I will simply say from my perspective, I did not have any real glaring omissions when I did my list of what I'd hoped and thought should be the next 25, the only guy of the new 25 that I did not have on my list was Dennis Rodman. Uh, I had Vince Carter instead of Dennis Rodman, but the other 24 uh, I pretty much got now to you and the snubs to guys that made it guys that didn't, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we'll update folks on the current players who made the top 75. Dame Lillard, which has a little asterisk by it. That's a name of contention, people have argued. Giannis, yep. Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, James Harden, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. Yes, that's four out of the five. Los Angeles Lakers, by the way, currently. Unfortunately, it's not at the peaks of their careers, as this list would want you to have them at. Well, Anthony Davis is the peak of his career. Anthony Davis, definitely. And one of the snubs that we'll get to, Dwight Howard, could have been five out of five. New members who previously were not selected, as Al alluded to, Ray Allen, Giannis, Carmelo, Kobe Bryant, Steph, Anthony Davis, Tim Duncan, KD, Kevin Garnett, Harden, Allen Iverson, LeBron, Jason Kidd, Kawhi Lillard, Reggie Miller, who was told live on TNT, very excited, Steve Nash, Dirk, Chris Paul, Gary Payton, Paul Pierce, Dennis Rodman, Dwayne Wade, Russ, as we mentioned, and Dominique Wilkins. The snubs, or at least some that have been and, mentioned. And, you, and you, you said Bob McAdoo, correct? Bob McAdoo, right. That was another yes. one that they... Those, those, were, the, those were the two Those were the two snubs that made it this time, and they should have made it. And as I said, the only, one of the, the only one of the newbies I did not have, and I had the two oldies, was Dennis Rodman. And, you know, do I have a huge problem with him making it? No, but he's just not on my list. I, I just... You know, it's always hard for me to include, you know, an inc you know, 
uh, yes, defense is important. Rebounding is important. But, you know, if you're a hideous offensive player, that is a strike against you. And he was a hideous offensive player. So, you know, I want for Vince Carter. Shoot me. Biggest snubs, names that have been going around. Mm-hmm. Pau Gasol is one of them. Dwight Love him. Love Pau, obviously. You know, I, I could see a strong argument for him. Two titles, terrific NBA career. Um, but I'm not losing sleep over him not being there. No. Dwight Howard... I don't mind the argument for, and we were talking before we got on here. It seems like it just took the train a long time to get running to back Dwight Howard really until he got to the Lakers the second time around before people finally gave him his due of, wow, look how great of a career he's had. He's easily a first ballot Hall of Famer. And some people were still like, really? And then you look at all of what he did and where that ranks all time. And it's without question, one of the best careers for his position that there's been. Well, and, and, you know, another guy that I don't think anybody's mentioned, and I don't believe he's on the list. We just went through it, unless I'm missing something. If you look at the numbers in terms of career length and all-star appearances, Chris Bosch's career is incredibly gaudy. Yeah, I was just, he was actually next on this list here. Two NBA okay. titles, one all-NBA second team, 11-time all-star. 11 said that the thing that jumps off the page is 11 time all-star, yeah. but all NBA only once a uh, very good player. Very good player. Do I, I don't think he was a great player. We've got Tony Parker. That's this is where I went at it with the boys. I had Damian Lillard, you know, and, and they're, they're giving me Tony Parker and Ginobili, yeah, and uh, who I, I who I never even considered, you know, to me they're they're not all time players. They're really good players, really good players on championship teams doesn't mean you're an all time player, right? And they were really good players on championship teams. To me, not all time. And look, I love championship players. You know, Draymond Green, really good player on a championship team. No way does he belong in that list. Clay Thompson, even stronger argument. And he was like one of my last guys. And the boys disagreed with me. You know, both Frank Isola and Brian Scalabrini thought Clay Thompson should be on that team over on that list over Damian Lillard. And I fought tooth and nail against him on that front. Um, so you may continue. We talked about Tracy McGrady and another name that got thrown around too was Clay Thompson, who put on social media something along the lines of, when I'm playing basketball, I consider myself one of the top 75 of all time, which I think is the reason for he him should. to be in the discussion. Of course. He should. I, I have no problem with him saying that. Clay Thompson is a terrific defensive player. He's been a wonderful player for Golden State, but he's always been a second or third wheel. And he's always had somebody else there with him to either carry or he's picked it up nicely when that other guy wasn't there for a game here, a game there, the big 50 point game. Terrific. Does that make you a top 75 guy? Here was my argument with Frank and Brian. I've seen Damian Lillard carry a team season after season, night after night. McCollum's a nice player. Okay. 
But, you know, he's not an all-time player. He's not an all-NBA player. He's not an MVP. He's not first-team all-league. I see this guy carry this team year in, year out. He carried them to a conference finals on his back. Do I know that Clay Thompson can do that? I don't know. Maybe he could if he was in Portland. But I don't know that. And I've watched Clay Thompson be the second or third wheel on some great teams. Clearly the second. Absolutely the third. And do I know that Clay Thompson could have been the guy without any of those other guys? I have no idea. No idea. I know he's been a terrific piece of world championship teams. It doesn't make you a top 75 player. It doesn't make you automatically on that list. He was one of my last guys to go. The Dodgers have really got the hit and shoes on tonight. A.J. Pollock goes yard, and it's 11-2. And now you say, if you're a Dodger fan, can we save some for the trip back to Atlanta? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's not easy. You know, there's always going to be guys at the end. But, you know, I believe Dame Lillard belongs there, and I believe his resume belongs there. And it's not like, you know, Clay Thompson has a weak resume. It's just that I know what Dame Lillard can do without a big-time supporting cast. I don't know what Clay Thompson could do without a big-time supporting cast. And that's not his fault. I just know that, don't know that he can do these things. I do know that Lillard can, for a fact, because I've seen him do it. It'll be interesting to see what the decision is 25 years from now. Hopefully we'll still be doing this podcast, maybe with different adjectives instead of new report, old report. We might have to get a little bit more severe. Old, old report. Ancient report. Goodness gracious. We'll see how that goes for the naming of the show. Barely alive report. On life support report. How about that? (laughs) That's a good one, too. I wouldn't have had a problem, and this is the new report talking, my generation talking, if some of the guys on the original 50 list were left off this one, just because if you put careers side by side, it's obviously laughable because of the errors that they played in, which isn't fair, as you mentioned, that you're taking away basically people in a Hall of Fame, taking them out because it's a different game now than it was when they first played. I mean, you have to draw the line somewhere. So in a sense for them to keep them all in, also allow folks from that generation to be added if they were snubbed and then take from this generation. I think overall they did the best they could with this. I There's going to be pros job. and cons, but overall this, this was very well done. I think they did an excellent job. I mean, there are some guys there that I don't love. I'm not a huge Ray Allen fan. But, you know, he's he's the all-time three-point king. Uh, I'm not a huge – I mean, I like Reggie Miller. I think he's a, I think he's a, I think he's an excellent announcer. Um, he was a big-time clutch player. Uh, you know, he, to me, he's, he's, he's towards the end. As, as great as Gary Payton was. Gary Payton was one of the last guys for me. Uh, Jason Kidd was one of the last guys. Well, you know, when you get down to a certain spot, you know, it gets pretty close. And, you know, my, my last few guys were guys like Jason Kidd and Gary Payton because they weren't 
you know, big time offensive players, obviously. Uh, but Kidd was a wonderful distributor, a great passer, uh, a great quarterback, a great team leader. And Peyton was the glove. He was a good offensive player, but a brilliant defender at, at, at the point guard spot. You know, one of the be- one of the best defensive guards of all time. And the, the difference between Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman was a forward. Dennis Rodman was one of the best defensive forwards of all time, but Dennis Rodman just, you know, his, his offensive game was, was putrid. Um, you know, Peyton was a solid offensive player. So, you know, for somebody who was a great offensive player, they're almost always going to be a consideration. The two-way guys, you know, I like to see at least some ability to score. Jason Kidd became a three, better three-point shooter towards this, you know, the second half of his career. He had the great run with Dallas when they won the championship. He went to two finals with the Nets. He was, like I said, he and Peyton were at the back end with me, but I got him in. And Ray Allen and Reggie Miller were the opposite kind of player, the three-point shooters, but great three, all-time three-point shooters. So, you know, if your skill set puts you all-time, I guess that's a reason, you know, in Rodman's favor, you know, an all-time defender, an all-time rebounder, uh, an all-time pain in the ass that you don't want to play against. So, I didn't have Rodman on my list, but I don't have a problem with him. And unfortunately, if your favorite player of this generation didn't make the list and you're hopeful that they'll make it 25 years from now, good luck, man. Good luck. Cause there are some godlike players that are going to be playing in that sport in the next 25 plus years. We're already seeing it. These six nine dudes that play both ways with no problem that could shoot it from forty five feet, and we have two of them who are incredibly gifted, uh, who you know, may not be playing uh, at all this year because they just don't want to play. And you got college coaches turning down three million dollars because they don't want to get the vaccine, while vaccines are coursing through their veins for measles and mumps, et cetera. So they were able to grow up playing grade school and high school and college athletics. There are unspeakable things, Al, that you could inject into my veins right now if it meant $3 million. You want to go out and just grab some mud and gravel from the street and shoot that through my arm? Please, for $3 million? You know, there's that drink at the bar that everybody jokes about everything but the kitchen sink where they like ring the rag out at the end of the night. And you take a shot at it. Put that in my arm for $3 million. Get some ketchup out of the fridge. Put that in my arm for $3 million. The list goes on and on. But a proven vaccine. Proven. Nah. Keep your money. All right, man. To each their own. But Jesus, if it's not our right to also be able to call you a stupid fucking idiot. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. This has been the best damn sports podcast, period. For the new report, Big John, and the old report, AWP. Have a great sports weekend, everybody.